Hello, everybody, and welcome to the third episode of For Pete's Take. I'm Joey Peterson, and for today's episode, we're going to be splitting it into two different segments. In the first, I'll be talking about Tennessee football, updating you guys on any transfers or head coaching rumors that I've heard of. Then in the second segment, I'll be joined by Scott Van Pelt. Just kidding. I'll be joined by my roommate and my friend Evan Walker, and we'll be talking Tennessee basketball. So, starting off with Tennessee football, and I don't think I'm alone in feeling like this, but it's felt like this last week has been the longest week ever. It's crazy to believe that just eight days ago, last Monday, Jeremy Pruitt was fired, and just about five days ago, last Thursday, Danny White was hired as our athletic director. It has felt like right when Danny White got hired, things were happening, names were being thrown around, but these past couple days, it's, it seemed like the hiring and this coaching search has, has slowed down. I don't know about you guys, but who I want to be the coach uh, for this team this next year, my opinion keeps on changing. It's rarely the same day-to-day. And so let's just real quick update um, how this coaching search has gone and and some names that were thrown around the beginning that might not still be there and some new ones that have come these past couple of days. So Kevin Steele, the interim head coach currently, and everybody believed to be the favorite, including myself, for the job in 2021, Um, I would say he's out of it. His name really isn't even mentioned anymore. And right when Danny White came in, he said that he wanted to go out and get his guy. Some people are even questioning that Kevin Steele might not even be on the staff come 2021 because he was hired on to be the defensive assistant and was thought to, at some point, be the defensive coordinator. So the next, Lane Kiffin. Uh, This was a name that became really hot on Friday night um, and was really hot when Danny White got the job. Uh, But these past couple days, it's faded, and I think that it, people just realized this was kind of a pipe dream. This was something that I got really excited about when I found out about it, saw it trending on Twitter. But I think people like me realize that this is just kind of unrealistic. Um, however, it would be very, as I said before, very poetic for Lane Kiffin to pull us out of this rut that he's put us in for the last 12 years. Jamie Chadwell, another name that was big in the beginning, the Coastal Carolina coach, has faded down, and I don't even know if he'd be on any uh, any articles that you'd look up about this. Hugh Freeze was another name in the beginning. His name is hardly even mentioned at all anymore. I think that once people realized that uh, Chancellor Plowman and Randy Boyd and Danny White uh, said those things about wanting to hire a guy with integrity, I think everybody just kind of automatically was like, okay, probably not Hugh Freeze anymore. You really don't see his name that much. Tony Elliott is a candidate that has absolutely surged these past couple days. Uh, you're beginning to see his name everywhere. He's the Clemson offensive coordinator. I personally don't like it at all. I would be very underwhelmed and frustrated if Tony Elliott was the guy that we hired. Um, he had at Clemson, he was not always their OC. He's been their OC, I think, for the past couple of years. But he was their uh, running backs coach and and one of their offensive assistants. And while he was there, yeah, they had a lot of success. And that goes on his resume, and that's impressive. But he also had Deshaun Watson and Trevor Lawrence. It's hard to be bad when you have those two quarterbacks and play in a conference like the ACC. No offense, I know that North Carolina is great this year. But statistically, the past couple years, the ACC has not been good outside of Clemson. That's just a fact. And another thing about hiring Tony Elliott is the last Clemson offensive coordinator, uh, one of the last Clemson offensive coordinators to get a job was Chad Morris. And everybody saw what he did 
at Arkansas. He went 4-20 in two years. Now, I'm not saying that that's going to happen Tony Elliott, but I think you always just have to have that in your mind that, hey, maybe this Clemson offensive coordinator job isn't uh, automatic criteria to be a head coach. Um, and just you have to look at the fact that he is a coordinator, and I don't think that's something that this team needs right now. I think this team needs a head coach. They need somebody who knows how to handle a team because not only does a coordinator, are we expecting, if we hire a coordinator, we're not only expecting him to come in here, learn how to be a head coach, but also learn how to be a head coach with this program and all the restrictions and violations that it's going to be facing soon. And so I think that's just too big of a learning curve to put on a new guy in a new head coaching position. So I would prefer if we stayed away from Tony Elliott. Um, I would be a little upset if we offered him the job. But, hey, I'm not athletic director. I don't get to make these decisions. Uh, another name is, is Sonny Dykes. He's the SMU coach. He led the Mustangs to their first 10-win season since the 1980s. Um, and I'm not really sure about this. I don't know if I'm too excited about it. I don't know if I'd be really upset if it happened either. I do like the fact that he's an offensive mind. I'm tired of watching awful offensive production happen on the field, and I know a lot of that will be relinquished now that Jerry Garantano is gone, as I've said in episodes past. But um, Sonny Dykes is a name that keeps popping up and is one you should probably pay attention to. Another name is Billy Napier, um, and he's the coach of Louisiana Lafayette. He's really the only name that has been consistent from start to the finish. Really, these past eight days, he's the only name that you could see on an article eight days ago and also see on an article that was posted an hour ago. So I'd have my eye on him. Um, I don't think it's very unlikely if he um, if he becomes our coach. Uh, and then three big names that you've seen kind of surface these past couple days. Matt Campbell, Iowa State head coach, P.J. Fleck, Minnesota head coach, and James Franklin, Penn State head coach. All three of these are big money options. I've heard things float around that um, these three guys are, are Danny White's top guys, and that if they accept this job, then then they're going to be have going to be having some big money thrown at them to leave their current programs. Because honestly, I don't know if it's very possible that we get any of the three of them without big money. Um, I would be happy with any of these guys. Really, I would love PJ Fleck. Hashtag row the boat. I'd love James Franklin. You saw what he did with Vanderbilt before he left to Penn State. Yes, he had a down year last year, but I still think he'd be a solid head coach. And out of the three of them, I think I'd love the most. Um, I'd love Matt Campbell the most. Yes, we'd have to pay him a lot of money because I think he's happy at Iowa State. But I think that he'd be worth it. Um, he's already a head coach, and he brought Iowa State to a Big 12 championship this past year. I believe that it'd be a lot easier to get good players to come uh, to Tennessee, even though the SEC is just as top heavy, I'd say, as the Big 12 is. But I think it's a lot of a lot easier to convince kids to come play in Knoxville and not in Iowa. I believe it's in Ames. Don't quote me on that. But I think kids would rather come play for an SEC school like Tennessee, who has a history, than than a Big 12 school like Iowa State that doesn't necessarily have a history, and again, is in the state of Iowa. Um, however, Matt Campbell does have Brock Purdy as his quarterback coming back next year, who had a really impressive season and is poised to do really good things this season. And the majority of his starters are returning to play for the Cyclones. So it makes you wonder, why would he want to leave that and take on a job with punishment still awaiting? Now, it's taken this hiring, this hiring process is 
has gone on a lot longer than a lot of people assumed it would, myself included. And this kind of scares me. It scares me because maybe the top guy said no. And they're having to scramble to find somebody. When Danny White came in here, um, it was confirmed that the donors were not holding back any money and that they were going to give him, um, him and the university, whatever was needed to go get his top guy. And maybe that hasn't happened. Um, it's been it's been four, five, six days um, since he's been on this coaching search and nothing yet. And I'm not freaking out yet. I'm not saying that we're going to overpay somebody and, and have to settle. But it is something that you need to keep your mind on, that maybe the top guy did say no, and so they're having to go through all these other interviews and through all these other applications and, and other candidates because the guy that Danny White wanted just straight up rejected us. But I hope it's fast so these kids can know who they're playing for because I think from a player standpoint and from a university standpoint, looking at this team, we can't lose any more players than we already have. So these kids need to have some certainty for who they're playing for. And it's just really crazy how quiet this whole hiring process has been. I haven't been a Tennessee fan for long, but I definitely um, have heard from, from my friends about how crazy that whole Greg Schiano thing was about three years ago when we were hiring Pruitt. And it got leaked that the job was being offered to Greg Schiano. And then Tennessee fan base absolutely went ballistic on Twitter and went ballistic everywhere. So Phil Fulmer, I guess, uh, thought it was smartest to pull Greg Schiano and, and in turn we hired Jeremy Pruitt. But usually stuff like that is um, – stuff like these coaching searches are, are getting leaked everywhere. And really it's been quiet. I don't think anybody knows – anything that's happening. I saw something a couple days ago that said, I saw something Saturday night that said Tony Elliott will be confirmed Monday morning or Sunday morning at a press conference that he'll be the new head coach. And that guy, of course, claimed he got it from a source. And all these people are claiming all these sources, but I really just don't think anybody knows anything. So we just have to sit patiently and wait and see who this coach is going to be. Now, to update you on transfers, Key Lawrence and Wanya Morris, both top recruits in their respective classes, are transferring to Oklahoma. This is no doubt a big blow to this football team. Wanya Morris started basically all last year and the vast majority of this year and was looking to have a really good junior season. I was excited about how he was improving, excited to see what more he could do in the offseason to come and, and just offer some protection to whatever quarterback we see out there. But obviously... He's headed to Norman, and, and with him is Key Lawrence, who was the top recruit in last year's class and was a guy that, that Vols uh, coaches and fans kind of expected to, to come in after Bryce Thompson and kind of fill that, fill that gap of Bryce after Bryce declared for the NFL. He was going to be a big part to this team, this defense, this secondary. But he's going to Norman as well. Um, as of right now, there's no word from Eric Gray or Henry to Oto'o yet. Um, so for the time being, they're still Tennessee, and we can still hold on to the hope that they'll be coming back and exiting the transfer portal. Um, yes, it is a small ray of hope, but it's there. Um, but I have heard rumors of Henry talking to Ohio State and Gray also talking to OU. I don't know what Lincoln Riley's deal is with Knoxville, but I think he needs to stop taking our players. Um, Donnell Wright, the former freshman All-SEC player, announced on uh, Sunday that he was going to announce where he was going to transfer on social media on Monday. And then yesterday, on Monday, he tweeted, I'm staying, okay, bye, 
with a peace sign and an orange heart. So that's a big return for the Vols in a time that it needs some good news regarding players. Darnell is going to come back. He was a five-star, and he'll start next year and just be some kind of consistency from last year's team to this year's team as well. Um, and that's just, I think, big for Danny White and his confidence in himself and big for just this program and, and for these players that might be thinking about transferring that um, they see Darnell and, and they say that, hey, maybe he's got a point. Um, and so who knows what the ripple effect of him staying will be, but all we know is it's good news for this team and that it's getting Vols fans excited. So transitioning from football to basketball, this past week during all of the football craziness, something you heard a lot or saw on social media was, well, at least we've got the basketball team. But unfortunately, the basketball team has not been a ray of light for Vols fans. Except tonight, the Vols finally broke the two-game losing streak with a win against Mississippi State. They lost their two prior games, one Florida and one to Missouri, and they lost those really bad. They lost these games by a combined 35 points, 26 of those coming from the Florida deficit. It's really been an embarrassing last two games, to say the least. There have been 36 turnovers combined between the two of them. John Fulkerson and Santiago Vescovi, players who are two-year starters and thought of as team leaders combined for 10 points and 9 turnovers against Mizzou. Just not the production that you need out of these guys that you're expecting to be some of the best on the team. However, tonight versus Mississippi State, five-star freshman Jaden Springer was back on the floor and the Vols got the dub over the Bulldogs 56-53. to Springer was the second highest scorer for the Vols and also added five rebounds and four assists to his stat line. I honestly believe with him being back that that was the key to the win. So finally bringing in my friend and roommate, Evan. With that being said, it's hard to ignore that in all three of the Vols' losses this season, they've been without Springer. What do you make of that? Uh, well, first off, let me just say, give a uh, thanks for being on the For Pete's Take <laughs> podcast. Very honored to be here. Um, but my take on those three losses is that I'm not necessarily sure that if Jaden was there in those three games, then it is... Uh, win but there's definitely a correlation in the fact that there are three losses in Jaden's absence in those three games I think the Florida game we just shot uh too bad and that that couldn't have been overcome but that being said um even with Jaden only averaging I think eight or nine points this year in SEC play um our team as a whole has averaged I think 16 or 17 less points with Jaden not out there on the floor as well as um, our team being worse defensively in those games. Obviously, there's a lot that our team has to work on other than just Jaden for us to be at the next tier of play, but I definitely think that played a big role in those three losses. I agree. I don't think that Springer's absence caused all three of the losses, but I can guarantee you that it didn't help. He's an important kid, and we're excited to get him back on the floor like he was tonight, and hopefully he can be careful with that injury and make it not last to March. So obviously this team is not terrible. They're still ranked in the top 25 at number 18 currently, and they're still expected to make the tournament as a top 5 seed. But getting there is one thing, and making a run is something different. So Evan, what is one thing that you believe allows this team to be able to make a deep run and one thing that you think prevents them from doing so? Um, at this point in the season, I'd say the thing that shows me the most promise and potential going into March would be that there is a lot of depth, especially compared to last season, for the guard spot at Tennessee. And with Victor Fiscovi, 
Jaden and Keon, there's someone different that can step up in those games. Right now it's been Jaden that has been creating a lot of the offense and even Josiah too. But he's been um, not near as aggressive as I would like him to be and that's something that will give Tennessee an extra step as well if he's able to step up his offensive game. The thing that I just think is holding Tennessee back is, well, I'll give you a few things. They're getting out-rebounded very heavily and at times their offense just looks very stagnant and I don't think, I'm not sure if it's something that needs to be changed in practice, whether it's Rick Barnes putting in different stuff for them or if the team's just going to have to continue to mesh and um, become more of a cohesive unit on offense. Okay, yeah, I agree. I think there's a lot of things that this team needs to change going into March, but hey, they have a lot of time to do so. They have a full almost month and a half of basketball to play, uh, and I think they can turn a lot of these things around just with more practice. I mean, look at this Look at this team. They only started playing on December 8th, uh, so they really have only been playing over a month and a half, and at this point in a regular season, you'd only be a couple games into conference play. So I think they have time to turn things around, time to change things. Um, so... How do you think that this team matches up against top teams in the country like Gonzaga or Baylor? Do you think they'd have a chance or do you think that those teams are just on another tier? I'd say that these teams do have a chance against those teams, but Gonzaga and Baylor and even Michigan, I would say, are on a different tier than many other teams. And even Alabama at times when they're on are on a different level. Um, than this Tennessee team, but the good thing about college basketball, obviously, in the uh, tournament is that we're not playing five-game series here. I think if you put Tennessee against any of those teams in a five-game series, it's uh, we're, you're looking at 3-0-3-1, but since it's just one game and the tournament is crazy and it's just who's hot, Tennessee, because of how good they are on the defensive side of the ball and the fact that they have good shooters when they're on, does have the possibility to make a deep run, but because of their lack of consistency on the offensive side of the ball, it's hard for me to see them getting much farther past, say, the Sweet 16 or the Elite Eight. That's kind of the ceiling that I see for them, although at their very best, I could maybe see a Final Four run, but I wouldn't be looking for that if I was a Vols fan. It's definitely going to be interesting seeing how this team will shape up and going into the tournament um, and when the tournament starts itself. It's something to keep watch of and something to definitely get excited for because they are still a really good team and, and still have a lot of promise for the rest of the season. Well, thank you so much, Evan, for, for joining me today and, and just for talking a little Tennessee basketball with me. Uh, so like I said, Vols got the dub tonight, improved to 11-3. and three. And the Vols look to January 30th when the Kansas Jayhawks come to Knoxville for the Big 12 SEC Showdown in basketball. Should be a good one. Kansas is ranked 15th while the Vols are currently 18th. So it's definitely something to keep your eye on. Thank you guys so much for tuning in and listening. I really appreciate the support. Please let me know anything, any suggestions you have, any topics you'd want me to cover. I'd love to hear that from you guys. In the meantime... Keep watch on that coaching search. Keep watching the Vols basketball. You guys have a great day. Thank you. Go Vols.